0: Exciting week at Megasheen. I'm Victor.
1: And I'm Nick. And this is our, I guess, our Halloween episode. <laughs> Yay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is.
1: That's, that's about as much enthusiasm you get.
0: <laughs> Nick is not a fan of Halloween, I see.
1: Uh, no, I, mm, I it is a- has this place.
0: Yeah, it has its place. I'm more about the movies, if anything. But today is going to be a special day because we have a special guest. Yes, we do. Um, This person is all over the place when it comes to horror, has a horror podcast, has written horror, has some shorts out there, has some movies out there. And also have great panels that kind of ties in the whole queer life and horror life. Today, we have Michael Varadhi with us today. Woo! (laughs) Thanks
2: for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming.
0: Yeah. So what we normally do is... What a great
2: time for Halloween, too.
0: Yes, it is. It's a great time. Right, just in time. (laughs) All the madness, and I just realized that... I. Oh, okay. I can get home tonight. I'm thinking about WeHo, because WeHo is going to have a uh, crazy night soon so i need to make sure i can get home in time but anyway uh, (laughs) because that hurts traffic and when it hurts traffic that hurts me so um we're gonna get started with kind of a little bit of tea we got a little bit of tea today but then we're going to get into more things about horror movies and our tv because that's really taken off and all that great stuff from witches to ghosts to warlocks and everything else so let's Uh, go start with some tea um kick us off nick with some of the tea on the table.
1: Yes, so a while back, they announced that the PlayStation was going to re-release the PlayStation 1 as the PlayStation Classic. And everybody was speculating, oh, what is going to be the game lineup? And they actually released some of the the 20 games that are going to be already preloaded on the PS Classic. And some of them, I'm like, cool. Some of them, I'm like, uh, I don't think these were classic, <laughs> in my opinion. But uh, a few that caught my eye was Metal Gear Solid, uh, Final Fantasy VII, which, I mean, okay, they had to put that on there. Um, let's see. Grand Theft Auto. I don't know why they put the first one on in. They should have put, like, the third one, because that was when the, actually, no, never mind. Third one was on the PS2. Anyway, uh, they put Cool Borders, and and the majority of these games is cool. But I'm under. I already have. I still have my old Tekken. Well, not my old Tekken. My old PS original PlayStation. So I can just pull that bad boy out. I still have all my original games. And some people were upset, like, "Oh, you didn't get this game, or you didn't get that game." I'm like, you're not going to make everybody happy in this instance because some people think, like maybe Legend of Dragon should have been on there, or maybe Final Fantasy VIII instead of seven. But what did you all think of the list, Victor? I know you're not so much of a gamer, but Michael, I are am you admittedly a gamer? not
2: much of a gamer. But I did get the original PlayStation when it came out, and I was one of those people that was kind of into Final Fantasy VII as well as some of the other ones. Uh, and what's interesting is that was probably the last gaming platform that i like really remember like oh my god i gotta get this like i was so Mm -hmm. excited but that was 20 years ago maybe but it doesn't feel like that long ago to me and i'm more so kind of fascinated by this quick turnaround of nostalgia culture that we've had we have now where like things are barely a decade old or two decades old and they're like all right well we're taking it back you know the I, I'm I'm just kind of more interested in that culturally because we're seeing it all the time where it's uh, everything's '80s throwback now, like Stranger Things, and where it's become like nostalgia a genre as much as anything else, and just the idea of bringing back the classic PlayStation. Um, not all that long. It's not it's not that old, not in the world of of, of technology. So it's just kind of fast.
1: Yeah, I don't
2: think so either.
1: It's. Go ahead, Victor.
0: No, I just wonder, you know, speaking of, since it's a big nostalgia thing, I wonder if it's it's becoming really big because of the the state of the country right now. I always feel like when the state of the country is really bad, we start going back to the past or we start pulling things from the past. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's where where we're getting a lot of this stuff because, you know, seeing some of the game, like seeing some of the stuff that um, Nick was pointing out, I was like, I remember this. I remember this being played in college i remember everybody was doing this while i was reading comic books but i remember everybody was like doing this and seeing that nostalgia piece come back and so i wonder if this is kind of triggered because of the state of the country right now i mean people are like reaching back to something that made them feel good i don't know
2: i think there's probably some truth to that and i also think that there's probably an economic stimulus to it as well i think that like people are not making the kind of money that they used to so they're thinking who has a disposable income right now that we can get money out of and they're looking at the generation who would just be old enough that this would be a nostalgia throwback and be like, aha, we can get them to buy this because they're the ones who are gonna remember this and they're the ones who are who may or may not have money at this, this current time. So I think there's like a double double edged sword there. It's like we can hide in the past from the current mm-hmm. grim reality. But there's also maybe something a little devious about it. They know like teenagers aren't gonna probably drop several hundred dollars on a Cl- PlayStation classic, but you know, our our generation. Probably so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true.
1: I mean, do you have... Like the... And they're probably... I think on the, the Switch, Sega Dreamcast might be releasing some kind of game support over there. So, yeah, it's just maybe reminiscing to a time where life was simpler. Yeah. yeah. And not so much... Dramatic and crazy and hectic. So yeah, that's a very a strong possibility. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: but I don't know if I'm going to get it. I, I mean, like <laughs> I said, I already have these games right on my shelf, so it doesn't make sense for me.
0: I was about to say because if you have <laughs> all these games, okay. So how many times do y'all play the games over? Like you play them over and over again once you complete it, like once you save the princess and find <laughs> Mickey and all them.
1: Okay, so that that has that objective has changed over the years so like maybe back back a long time ago maybe I would play it over and over mm-hmm. but here now like especially with PlayStation or, or in Xbox they have these uh, these achievements or trophies according to the, the system mm-hmm. and you get a game whether it be story based or like do like kill five people in five seconds something like that um and that makes for the game sometimes replayability is not there in a game so but then again sometimes it is depending on like the trophy list so it just in my opinion of, or personally for me if the trophy list calls for me to play the game again i will play it but if not
0: library Hmm. all right (laughs) yeah i just need to play that's what it just comes down to i just need to play and so i can understand what what am i really missing because i feel like there's a whole world i have no idea you know it's like i guess it's like leather i think you would get i just don't know
1: okay (laughs) all right (laughs) <laughs> I, I like that comparison. But I think you would get maybe, because some of the games are so expensive. <laughs> so I think some of the games right now are so expansive in detailed that you might get overwhelmed. So, like, fine, if you do start, like, get, like, a PlayStation 4 or Switch. Don't worry about the Xbox because they're not <laughs> about that life. Start with, like, a small, like, maybe an indie game. Mm-hmm. That might help. And then increase those type of games. Cause like, if you start out with like, say a red day redemption, there is, is so much things to do. You might get overwhelmed.
2: Yeah, I can see that. I had a roommate who was really, really into gaming a while ago and he would play some of these ones where uh, the game was intuitive and the world would keep building on itself. Like when he would go online it, and it, so there were always updates. And it, it never said that like, I, I, right. I kind of like games that I know this is my objective, like I'm gonna go back in time and save blah, 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 or like go get the princess, as Victor said. But when it's just like, all right, you're in space, go. I'm like, oh God, that's, that's, wave. that's, that's <laughs> a lot of anxiety, that's anxiety exactly. for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, there was one game that I liked. Um, I played on the PS3 and it was called Thomas Was Alone. And I think I talked about it on the podcast a while back. But it's basically just these blocks. And you—you you, the point is from get to point A to point B. And these blocks have different personalities. They have different names. And there's a narrator talking throughout the game. And it's just, I think that would be very good for you. Just to ease you into gameplay.
0: Yeah, because I i mean, I, I don't know if I will have anxiety. I'll probably get Mad because I don't I probably died or something, or I just want to have weapons and magic and a cool outfit and some long hair. That's all I want.
1: Okay, so you need an RPG then.
0: Yeah.
2: Yes. Maybe, maybe Final Fantasy is the place to go.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll have to, I'll have to do some research for, for you and get you together. <laughs> So, uh, uh, And moving on into some musical news, which I'm like, okay, whatever. Y'all going to do what y'all going to do. <laughs> so they are doing a live version of Rent. And they announced its cast. And
2: I, uh, I looked up at the cast and I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, I'm not... Not here to shade anyone, and I'm, I know some people are excited about Valentina, but like it is kind of humorous to me that the one drag queen they cast to be in the show is one who is historically known in RuPaul's Drag Race history is someone who can't
1: right. remember the oh words my. to
2: herself. Um, so.
1: <laughs> I just don't understand that.
0: I'm going to go on record. And some of the uh, I was going to say I'm going to go on record to say that I do not. Care for rent. Um, I walked out of the movie rent. Um, every time we used to take our students to go see rent at Cornell or something of it, I did not go. I just felt like it was, I didn't know what it was about until I saw the movie. And then I saw the movie. I was like, this movie is, I was like, okay, you know what? And then I was hurt at, was it Team America or wherever that movie was by the folks of South Park. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah, Team America.
0: Who did that parody? And I was like, that is so wrong, but that's, I was like, but that's kind of what the movie is. But I was like, that is so wrong. But um, I can't get in the red. I just felt like it was just too much. And the, I guess because I saw the movie version, and the movie version just made me just sick. And I was mad, so I went, and left, and went to go sniff some new lotions at Math um, and Body Work. But I was like, I couldn't. I thought that
1: was going another way.
0: <laughs> no, come on now. But yeah, I I don't know about this. So, I, I mean, I have a crush on Anthony Rapp, and I feel like I need to watch it just because of my crush and my respect for Tracy Thompson. So I feel like I need to go and maybe give this this musical a chance. I don't know. Did y'all like it? Did y'all like it? Uh,
2: I loved Rent honestly when it came out. I saw it I saw it on stage when uh, it first came out, or sometime around then. And I will say that the movie version is is very different than the stage show and i i think it's like they restructured the movie songs are in different parts of the story than they are in the stage show it's like kind of very uh i remember a lot of people who were very committed to seeing the broadway version it had a lot of issues with the movie and i think justly so because they they sort of missed in some ways what made the show have that kind of social commentary magic on stage by kind of re-racking it for a movie. I remember at one time uh, Spike Lee was attached to direct the movie and I was really excited by that and then he dropped out and Chris Columbus came in and directed it and I kind of feel like we missed something by not having Spike Lee direct it because it's a movie about it's a story about New York and we needed a New York mm. filmmaker to do it. Uh, but I liked Rent. I think that Rent probably is one of those shows that it's it's all kind of about the moment, like when it came out, like. Uh, People were still kind of hemming and hawing around discussing the AIDS crisis. Uh, there was a lot, of, you know, there were a lot of issues uh, in the in the show that were very relevant. I mean, the, there's a whole number in there about you know when we get to the millennium, and we're now 18 years past the millennium. So it's uh, it's kind of like I, I would be interested to revisit it through the eyes of an audience member today and see do those things still have social relevance? And of course some things do like homelessness is an issue in the story and, and corporations pushing people out of their homes and, and uh, gay rights issues. It is a lot of that is still relevant, but some of it might seem very framed by the time it was written too. So I like it, but I also am thinking of it kind of like with the, the rose colored glasses of, of nostalgia, which, you know, we already talked a little right. bit about.
1: I okay. okay. So full disclosure, I've never seen rent the musical or like the stage or the movie. I don't care to see Rent. (laughs) Rent is, to me, first off, Seasons of Love. I can't stand that song. (laughs) I cringe every time I hear that. It's like, oh, every gay person is supposed to know this song. I'm like, look, give me, don't give me that song. Give me anything else but that song. I I just don't want it. It, it. I don't feel anything for it. I'm like, it's just um, ugh. Because I grew up on like the old school. I grew up like on Funny Face and Guys and Dolls and all that jazz. And so these new, what? Well, new-ish type musicals. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm picky when it comes to my musicals.
0: Mm -hmm. I get that.
1: You might like like musical. you, might like you know, I might like Hamilton. I don't know. I'm nervous because everybody is hyping it up. And I'm like, if this doesn't. L- if it's not to this hype, then I'm going to be disappointed and I'm <laughs> going to cuss everybody out. I, I, I
0: think. I like-
1: yeah, I, I would like to see Hamilton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're friends. I know it. it- it has a very big significance. I know it has a big significance with the gay community. I know it was played everywhere, sung by every group, even sung by a choir. I remember one at a church. I was like, How are y'all doing this? But um I I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna see what they're gonna do. I did look at Greece, even though I hate Greece. I <laughs> I, I I despise Greece. I think Greece 2 is the only Greece that should exist. But um I I love Greece too. Yeah, Grease 2, maybe because that was more around my age time for me to really process it. You know, I love the Living Newton-John and I worship the ground that she stands on and sings on and everything. I just never like Grease, but um, I do like Grease 2. So I might like this version because I did enjoy the little stage Fox version they did of Grease to a degree. So maybe I might like this. Who knows? Maybe. Apple. isn't
2: vanessa hudgens also in this new version of rent yes she is supposed oh, she is? to play uh maureen that's wild because she was in she was in the live version of greece they did she's yeah. like the mvp of live tv yeah. musicals all of a sudden
0: <laughs> yeah oh, well
2: and Mari,
1: you supposed to be and he's supposed to be playing benjamin oh, yeah
0: well all right
1: i mean they have some names
0: <laughs> you said have some names <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and why is
1: uh Tinashe supposed to be playing that the drug addict?
0: Okay, well, she can dance.
1: <laughs> <Everybody>. <laughs>
0: no, you know, I like Tinashe. I'm not gonna even shade her like that. I like Tinashe, so you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at it. I mean, I'll stick with it, but I'll probably look at it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure Weho will be playing it in every bar, so we'll see how that goes.
2: Um. Oh, you know they will.
0: What <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> the else do we have? Um, not that much. It wasn't that much that we kind of went down this week. Um, kind of geek-wise, a lot of other pop culture stuff happened, but not really geek-wise. But because we have so much to really get into in the horror world, why don't we just kind of flip over into that and just kind of start the conversation? Let's Let's right. do that. All right. I will say this. Um, I have noticed that we are seeing a kind of a, a new, I don't want to say renaissance, but a kind of a new surge of horror um, in so many different ways. We now have these anthologies. We have, you know, Creep Show has a new anthology coming out, I think, and um, We're seeing um, new stuff from uh, sci-fi that's using a lot from uh, Creepypasta with, um, channel zero um we're seeing a lot popping up with that as well american horror story and um the haunting of okay uh, let's say it. the haunting of hill house i want to say the other one because it's, it's somewhat similar what we're seeing so oh, much ho- yeah
2: yeah the house on haunted hill I, yeah. I keep i keep conflating the titles as well i know
0: And we're seeing so much of this stuff, and now we have the new Halloween, another kind of revisit to the world of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, Um, but we also are getting more, you know, movies and somewhat of remakes, like we have Suspiria that just came out. Yeah. So today we're gonna to kind of talk about these themes and these movies and these shows and just what's been exciting us, the scenes that we like in you know in classic horror movies and everything else. Cause you know, we have Michael here, and I consider Michael as, you know, somebody who's a pro when it comes to this type of stuff. So let's get into it. Nick had a great introduction with um our favorite horror scene. So Nick, I'll let you take over with that.
1: Okay. Um so my One of my favorite horror scenes, and I'm going all the way back to, I think it was the 60s, uh, was the birds. Mm. And the birds actually got to the school. And Tippi Hedren's character is telling the teacher that we have to get the kids out. And the kids are walking, and then they start running, and you see the birds going. And that was just so terrifying. Like, and then even, like, after that scene and towards the end when the birds just go away, it's just, like, when's the next attack? Right. And it was, I love Alfred Hitchcock's, basically the majority of his movies anyway, but that particular scene was always scary because you can't, something that's chasing you but has wings and you can't shoo it away, otherwise it's going
2: to attack you. It was just so... It was so good. I think Hitchcock had a really great style of being able to kind of put an idea in your mind that uh, exactly like you're saying, you start thinking about this. This is not really something that you can outrun because birds are small and fast and they can fly. So you can't really get away Mm. from it. And it's it's so interesting, all of these movies that were made in the the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s that kind of felt very of the moment. But if you watch a Hitchcock movie, there's still a lot of suspense and scariness in the those films even now and it's because i think there's so much psychological going on one of my favorite horror scenes is as well as many 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 people's favorite horror scenes is the shower scene in psycho uh and i i think about it a lot because it's one of those where people when they when that scene was first screened when that movie came out. People were like running out of the theater in like with nauseous and like you know, in fear, like it, they had not seen anything like that. And it seems timid by today's standards in a world of like movies like Saw or Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever. But watched it, and he brings it down. You can hear the knife hitting her skin, you never see it, but it's that weird sticking noise, right? That that like that makes my skin crawl, and I think it w- wouldn't have worked as well if he had actually showed us the gore.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because you're forced to think about it then. You're just like, oh, I'm imagining what's happening and I guarantee what's going on in your mind is probably worse than what they would have ever shown us in the mm-hmm. 60s. So uh, I love that. That's just, I think, you're, I think that's what, the way the birds works too, exactly what you're saying. Like you start thinking, well, how do you really get away from something that's in the air? Like they can fly, they can, they're everywhere.
1: That's scary. There was a scene on Psycho where, um, what's his name? He's asking um, uh, Janet Leigh's character, sister, and um, the other guy, he's saying, um, if, and I'm going to mess up this line, if um, he said something to the effect that who's buried in uh, something, something cemetery? And that line, how he delivered that line just scared the <laughs> shit out of me. Um, like, it, it wasn't even meant to be scary, but the way it was delivered and the the what ifs and the suspicion, just, it just, woo
2: it just scared me. <laughs> totally get that. Yeah, I just think there's something about, you know, the, the putting the idea in your brain and it's not always what you see. I think that's something that a lot of modern horror movies forget is the idea that, when an audience submits to these movies, they're coming along for a ride and you're, you are, imagine, some of the scarier movies are the ones that don't give you everything. They tell you, they they may infer, there's a body in the graveyard, there's, there's a, you know, someone in the bathroom, but they don't have to show you everything. Uh, I, I don't know, I think the unseen is often more scarier than what we see. We've all seen that movie that seems really cool and then the third act is just a guy in a rubber suit you like, all right. All mm-hmm. right. Yes.
0: <laughs> Victor, what about you? Um, the, I'm gonna try to change, so, cause I have, I have so many scenes, so I'm gonna try to make, remix it to something totally different. I, one of the things I like is actually from, I think um, Halloween six or five, wherever the curse of Michael Myers. And it had, um you know, it had our bae in it. It had, um, oh, and I say his name. I think of his name and his name's the side of my head. Um, but he was the new Tommy. So he was the, he was Tommy. Paul Dewey. Rudd. Paul Rudd was in it. Yeah. But what I liked is when that part when he is facing Michael, you see this look on his face where he's almost like he's smiling, but it's like this weird madness of like, he's here. This is really happening type of thing in his face. He does it like maybe twice where it's like, he's smiling oddly. Like he's like cracking out. Like you can tell like he's like almost losing it, but not losing it. Um, and I kind of like that mm-hmm. he's meeting Michael and he has this this, this weird smile on his face like, oh my, this is, this is real. Because he's always, he's been obsessed with Michael ever since that night. And so I think with him confronting him, it, it was this moment of like this weird of certainty and insanity. And I was like, it just always sticks with me. That movie is, I go back and forth with that movie, but it's always that particular part that makes me pay a lot of attention to Paul Rudd's character. Cause I'm like, okay, I understand why you feel this way. Um, and I'll, I'll throw in two more. Um, the, the original, not the remake, but the original of, um, oh Lord, now I can't remember the name of that one. It's the one, the babysitter one It's the one where it's like, um, get the phone calls and oh. uh, when a stranger calls. So, yeah. So the original movie, the first, 20 minutes is the best the middle part oh my god oh god i did but the scene when she's older and she's at a restaurant and he calls her at the restaurant um, it was that moment when she hears his voice and she lets out this scream i just thought it was just a perfect moment of you know taking her back to that time when she was young and you know you know did not know that you know this killer's in the house he's already killed the kids um, but I like when they revisit her, I think it's 10 years later, and she she just lets out this this scream, this ungodly scream. And I really, really just love that part of the movie. I actually watched, I skipped the middle part just to get to that. If they would have cut out his story <laughs> whatever they were talking about, and just kind of focused 10 years later, um, that would have been neat. But I like that particular part. And recently in the updated it, I am obsessed with the scene. Where the kid, the heavyset kid, is in the library. And as he's reading the history about Pennywise, it is that librarian in the back who's watching him with this evil grin on her face. You can barely see it, cause it's set so it's focused on him, but she's watching him as he looked through the book. And that scene alone was exciting to me. I was like feeling it. I was like, ooh, yes, give me all that thrill. Yes. I was like. <laughs> I was like pumping in my chest. I was like, yes, look at her in the back. Look at her in the back. It was just giving us all the, you know, that creepiness of what it is. And if you ever read the book, the book is something else. But I'm just saying that it gave me that creepy feeling that when I read it way back. Um, So that's one of my favorite parts is just seeing that, just seeing her do it. You can actually go on YouTube and see that, just that scene alone. And people have actually written about it and talked about that one librarian just watching him read that part. I don't know if y'all noticed that, if y'all saw it, but that's my, I love that part in that movie.
2: Well, I think it's really great because they, they, they had the presence of mind while making it to put things like that in the background. Because I think that people don't realize that when you set up a scene in a film, sometimes you, subconscious, you subconsciously see everything even if you're focused on the action. Mm-hmm. And you can create a sense of unease with your audience uh, by just placing things in the background that they maybe don't even necessarily know that they're seeing. And that's so genius with, with uh, the way it was made is they're like kind of inferences of Pennywise all throughout the movie, even in scenes that he's not there, yeah. which kind of add to this like, kind of like mounting tension. Uh, which that the librarian is, is so scary. I mean, I, I, I love that. And I love the idea of the, the balloon just floating through the library and how everyone's stoically sitting there and staring into space except for him because that it's just like, a, it's a nightmare. I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to throw out one more because it just hit me. I watched the original Suspiria and I, I I'm always obsessed with the music, the music I'm just obsessed with. But there's a scene where she, Susie is walking through the hallway and she sees this old woman and this witch boy. I call him a witch boy because he's dressed like a witch boy. <laughs> um, and there's something where she's cleaning some little knife <laughs> or something and it glows but the little kid smiles as it glows really creepily. Then when it goes back to normal, he the smile disappears. But you have to really watch it carefully just to see it. But it's just that part where he's looking at her. He's grinning really evilly. And then when the light flashes down he's like back to normal and I was like oh my god that is that would freak me out if I'm walking around and this little kid start you know grinning when this thing glows on my face and he looks like a little witch boy like the, like Clarion that's what he looks like if you ever saw Justice League I think it's the, the Justice League the, the bigger version where they had Morgan Le Fay, her son that's what he looks yes. like He looks like that. So if you have a chance to see the original Suspiria, watch that particular scene because it just always creeps me out, but I love it.
2: Yeah. That woman's pretty scary too. (laughs) Yes. Right.
1: How about you, Michael? Do you have another uh, favorite horror scene? Oh,
2: gosh. I mean, this is like my whole life is horror movies, so I could (laughs) probably run through many. Just because of how much impact it had in pop culture is the scene in the original nightmare on elm street when johnny depp any current issues with johnny depp aside yeah the, the scene where he horrifying to me because that to me affects like the very like primal of fear of that you know you're supposed to be safe in bed that's supposed to be a safe place you're like you're most vulnerable when you're asleep and so it's not even that Freddy is there. Like, we know that Freddy's the cause, but, like, just the idea that he's in bed and the bed just swallows him and then, it, like, it spits that chaser of blood out. When I was a kid, I was just like, wait, what? Like, because that's like, <laughs> you don't want to go to bed then. That's, like, the, not where you want to be right after that. Like, usually, like, when you're a little kid, it's like, oh, there's a monster in the closet, whatever. I'm going to pull the cow. I can't even hide there. So I just think that there's something really uh, smart about the way that was constructed. Uh, i think that movies that utilize a lot of atmosphere always get me i th- think that uh you know the idea that they splice that face into frames of the exorcist that kind of like flashes while you're watching the movie yeah that uh that always gets me um i i really like uh in evil dead too it's you know speaking of just kind of like atmosphere mixed with like insanity when he realizes he is stuck in this house and he can't leave and like all of the things in the house come to life and start laughing at him. That to me is scarier than any of the demons and like bloodshed and craziness in the movie. The idea that like, he's just going nuts. Like, is it the house or is it just him? Like he just did.
0: Yeah.
2: Like good and well curated horrors. So, you know, it seems like that always kind of leave an impact.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because it makes me think about friday 13th just the third one where the core woman went and went crazy at the end and yeah i remember i was like is that and i remember my cousin was like wow when you that when you get that scared and that lost you lose your mind and i was like i've never seen that before you know i never seen someone like lose their mind like of course you may watch like looney tunes and it's like oh you know they lose their minds or whatever but that was like a whole different thing and I- it made me scared like like i was like i don't want to get scared to where i lose my mind um but yeah that was interesting to see so when you brought that up it made me think about that particular scene where she just lost it and i'm curious because i i heard in the book they explained that she had to get there's a book version of it where she had to get mental counseling for many years after that but i i don't know but i've always loved that part in the movie as well well honestly wouldn't you I don't know. You know, that's a good question. Like, this is the thing that I always
2: think is interesting about sequels. And of course we love, them. if you are Sydney and Scream, I'll use that as an example, and you survive that first movie, and 90% of people you know have been killed by your boyfriend, it's like, you don't just go to college the next... <laughs> the one thing that's always, like, bothered me about part two, where she's just like, okay, like, she has, she's more careful about how she answers the yeah, phone. I'm like, no, this would be crazy. and she, justly so. She like desert, like, you know, that's the thing is like, I think sequels never really take into account that the next day is going to be worse than you could possibly imagine. And maybe that's
0: the real horror. That's why we never get to see that. You bring up a good point. Mm-hmm. And, and Nick, I wonder how you would feel like, you know, if something like that happened to you too, because it's like, how would you feel if you knew? Because I grew up, I mean, I think i shared this before. I grew up where I knew a kid who became a killer. I knew him. And it didn't really affect me, but it freaked me out after the fact. when I remember, as a kid, he wasn't allowed to play with He-Man because it was considered Satan. You know, Satan. Well, Satanistic and, you know, evil and everything else. And he was a weird kid anyway, but when he got a little bit older, he raped and killed his niece and killed other people. And so I never... You know, it was like, it freaked me out. But what if there was somebody that I really knew? It's so like, Nick, how would you feel if, you know? I mean,
1: um, we all have the propensity to kill somebody. Yeah. Uh, now, how we hide that or keep that under control is up to the individual. Um, I knew, well, I knew of a kid in college. He had killed somebody. Uh, he was a physics major. Um it was like a, a robbery going wrong and somebody got killed. Um, I mean, I don't I don't know how I would take that situation if I knew that somebody I knew 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 flipped out and killed somebody. Um it would be obviously hard to take. But I don't know. It's one of those situations where you have to be in it to give a really concrete answer, you know? it's. Just, I know I would be weirded out and I would probably have to go to therapy. Well, more sessions of therapy. Yeah. But yeah, it would be scary. It would be right. really scary.
0: Yeah, I, I know when I was writing Strange Lore, um, the main character went through a tragedy where all his friends were murdered. Um, and I had to really think about, I had to, you know, talk about the things he had to go through. It had to be over a year before he can actually try to do it. Like he quit school and everything else. But I was trying to be more intentional because I, I, like Michael, I was like always concerned with what happens to you when that really happens to you? Like, do you just get up and go to school the next day? Or do you just... You know, how do you handle that? And it's interesting because it's, this is a kind of an interesting segue into when we think about the current movies and horror and what's happening right now, Halloween touches on that. The new Halloween talks about drama, drama, I can never say the word, and, um, to where it's like, how does it affect you, you know, when you go through something like that? So I don't know, Nick, if you saw the, the right. late Halloween, but it really focuses on what happens to Lori after that. They skipped the original sequel. Um, But this is more about, you know, how she's dealt with this 40 years later.
1: I haven't seen the the new Halloween. I know that Lori is tired of this motherfucker showing up every goddamn time. I'm like, look, if you don't get a job, leave me the the (laughs) hell alone, Michael. I know she is vexed. Um, But, I mean... I can't speak on it because I haven't seen it, but I, I know, I hope she gets him together.
2: Well, I, I think that Victor is right. It does get close to touching upon uh, this idea of like, how do you deal with that when, when you've been through it? And what I think is it now, because it's 40 years later, uh, and it shows how generationally trauma can affect people when someone that you know has gone through this and never lets it go uh i don't know i think michael myers is sort of kind of like the secondary character of the new movie it's more like her just dealing with it which is interesting in a way uh it's a different kind of horror movie
0: yeah yeah it was interesting Mm -hmm. to see that it's also interesting to see i'm always curious about michael the, the 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 person the entity that he is um in the in the original book, there is a book version that if you can find it, you have to, it's a lot of, I think you pay a lot of money to get this book. But it talks about the fact that he is, why he's the way he is, is based on a curse. And I I feel like that, you know, they try to get into that, the whole thorn thing and that was just kind of out there. But I've always been curious about Michael, like why is Michael this way? And I guess maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but according to, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jordan, I mean John just said he's just an embodiment of, embodiment of evil. He's the shape. He's not. There's no rhyme or reason to it. That's just how he is. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think that's what makes the original Halloween so impactful. And like, as much as we can lines of them can be fun, they're complicated. They they try such a good and easy, or good and and lasting horror movie is its its simplicity. It's literally this girl sitting these kids and the killer shows up and she doesn't know why. She's never given an explanation why. And it's basically summed up in the idea that you can't kill the boogeyman. Like when, you know, that's just, he is the boogeyman for all extents and purposes in that original movie. And then they were just like, oh shit, we made a lot of money off of this. Now we have to kind of like try and explain what this is, but like I think the worst night of her life. That's scary. That's like, and that's why uh, all of the all of the sequels and all of the different explanations are fun. But I think that original idea of he's just evil. That that to me is scarier than any explanation. Yeah, because there is no explanation, it's just the way it is.
1: Yeah, I know. Speaking of evil, I know another uh, good horror scene is in The Innocence. Oh, I love Devil that it is so, such a good movie. And the kids and her are playing, um, I think they were playing hide and seek. And she hides behind the curtains and she sees the ghost of, I think it was the man of the house or the the father. Um, it's been such a long time since I've seen this, but I remember her screaming and you just see this, hear this silence as her gasping and him getting closer and closer to the, the window window and then disappearing and she freaks out and i'm like oh my goodness that was such a a good scene that didn't need any dialogue which sometimes i think a scene can be bogged down and you know conversations between the characters and whatnot
2: definitely i love that movie i didn't
0: see it i didn't see that
2: really you you haven't seen it no (laughs)
1: it's
2: a it's it's a really great haunted house movie. And I think it's one of those movies that you can see, uh, it's influence all over later movies that are haunted house movies, like the others with Nicole Kidman, or even the shades of poltergeist, but it's just all she's, Debra Kerr is this uh, governess who gets sent to watch, watch these two kids. Uh, she thinks the house is haunted, uh, but maybe it's the kids who are haunted, and you, you have to go on this kind of journey to find out exactly what what's going on. Uh, those kids, to me, are terrifying in the movie. Yes. Uh, and, and it's just sort of like she's just out there having uh, having to deal with this, and like there's kind of a part of you where you're just like, "Wow, girl, you must really need this job because I would have left. I would have <laughs> like, would have gone. Get, right. get me on the next carriage ride out of here, you know?" Exactly. Yeah. And I.
1: I know another scene, um, it doesn't really, it's towards the end of a movie and there's no dialogue. There's not even a character. But at the end of uh, the blob, the original blob, the one with uh, Steve McQueen, um, after they finally get the blob cooled down and frozen and they drop that thing in like the Arctic, at the end, there's this big question mark and then the the movie ends. it's like, oh, well, what if it gets gets out? What if it gets too warm? And especially in this kind of climate where we're living in global warming, God forbid there's some kind of beast that can just, that can't die and just assumes everything. And that that scene always scared me and my sisters. It's gonna be like, you just don't know. And I think the fear of the unknown uh, is such a a mental fuck up uh, like, I, I think people can't explain sometimes what they're so afraid of, and that's why I gravitate towards those kind of movies rather than the whole slasher flicks.
0: Yeah. It's, and, you know, you basically created the sequel right there, because that could be the sequel. I mean, there was a sequel, but there, there could be a sequel to it's like, okay, they dropped it off. Global warming is happening. It's back. You know, and now what do they do with it? I mean, that's basically right. Right. Because it's like that is a good question. What if there is something like that? And you maybe think about even Friday the Thirteenth, the original, when she, when Alice woke up, and she, you know, they was telling about what happened. She's like, "Well, he's still there." That was always that thing of like, "Yeah, that creepy thing that just grabbed you and pulled you under the water, it's still out there." And that's that's interesting you brought that up. It makes me think about that as well. It's like something is still out there, regardless of what happened. I think some of the scariest stories or films is when they don't catch the killer or whatever. It's still out there.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, again, I think it goes back to that fear of the unknown. Like, I think, to me, the problem with with a lot of modern horror movies and by i think it's more like the hollywood horror movies is they feel like they have to wrap everything up they have to put a nice ending on it because that's what audiences expect but i think that when you're watching a movie where you're kind of left with a little ambiguity that's that's what has the impact the idea that you know maybe this house isn't completely clean or maybe this blob will one day defrost or there's still a boy out there i that that those are the the movies that kind of like you're thinking about it when you're driving away from the theater mm-hmm. you know you're like wow, oh, maybe so you, he's in the backseat of my car
1: you make a good point because i was listening i think oh, yeah. um victor you had made a point about Ouija boards uh, a few weeks yeah. ago on twitter yeah and there was a a podcast episode that I listened to about this kid that uh, him and his friends were playing with a Ouija board, and he inadvertently opened the door to like a a demon, Ooh. and the guy the the kid um, he would find himself away, like two three miles away from his house. He would uh, find the Ouija board. Still there in his house, even after he discarded it and burned it, he would get burn like scars on his chest. Um, it was it scared me. It scared me to death. Um, and like at the end, he he was okay, but and the um, the guy who did the exorcism gave him some kind of pendant, and he said, "Keep this on you at all times." And to this day, he still keeps suspended on him. And I think the narrator said sometimes he forgets it. And when he does, he can still feel this demon close to him. Okay. And so I one of the things I do not play with are Ouija boards because I feel like that can we're closer to a spirit world than we like to think we are. And I think Ouija boards can open that door to the bad spirits, the ones that need to be kept away.
2: Yeah, I could see that. I think that I think that we probably just with our sense of the world are always close to it, and probably are, are have the ability to contact whatever is out there. Uh, and just something like that gives us a means by which to communicate. Because I don't necessarily believe and Ouija boards is powerful, if they're made by, like, Milton Bradley. I don't think Milton Bradley is, like, distributing, <laughs> like, the, the power of darkness. But I think that, like, if it allows you to believe, I think the power of belief is, is, is a very big thing. I think, like, if you believe that you're communicating with the dead or a spirit world, then you may actually be able to. And that's, that, that I think, when you open yourself up, that's when you can let things in, both both true or imagined. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's a Ouija board so much, but if you're, if, it's just don't play with things. You, should, you just don't play with things you don't understand. It's a bad, it's a bad idea, yeah. I think. Anyone who watched Buffy the Vampire Sl- Slayer knows, don't mess with stuff you don't know. <laughs> like, you <laughs> know, just don't do it. It's very true.
0: But see, I grew up in a time where we did all that stuff. We did that, we laid on graves. Um, the, the game- Oh, was, hell no. Lay on a grave see how long you can lay on the grave. Um, if, you let, if you can do it longer than two minutes, you can get like a dollar. Like we used to do these type of thing, go into houses that were considered haunted because they were empty and left out in the woods. Like we used to do a lot of creepy stuff when I was young in Tennessee. Um, they probably wouldn't do that stuff now, but I you know I grew up with a lot of that and I grew up with a lot of that type of creepiness that I, I feel like we kind of miss now. Um, but I, I kind of want to jump into, um, a little bit of about, we kind of talked a little bit about, about the, the movies that are out and everything else. Um, I'm very curious to see how y'all feel about the fact that we're seeing, I don't want to call it new age horror, but just kind of something different than the slasher. The slasher stuff is not working. Like I think of Hellfest and how that just came and went. But now you have like very artsy horror, like Suspiria, the new Suspiria. Michael, I don't know if you've seen the new Suspiria. Um,
2: Uh, I haven't, I'm actually seeing it in a few days.
0: Oh, okay. I saw it, I will just say it is very interesting, but um, what do you think, what do you think you think this will actually get it? From what y'all maybe heard of the new one, do you think that this is going to maybe kick off more hard, it kind of gets more into this more artsy version of it versus what we see in Insidious and, you know, Hellfest and stuff like that?
2: Um, you know, what's interesting is, uh, horror has trends as as does anything pop culturally speaking. And, and we can look across, you know, the decades and what, what is popular in horror, there, it always runs parallel to what's going on in society. I think that, um, you know, as far back as Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein, there was the debate at the time of like church versus science, you know, so the, the idea of like someone playing God would be controversial. Or, uh, Godzilla comes out of the dropping of the A-bomb in, in uh, Japan. Uh, even in the Bush era when there was torture in the news, that's when we got movies like Saw and Hostel. Uh, And I think that, you know, the the idea that Suspiria is this more kind of thoughtful art house movie uh, and movies like uh, Ghost Story or uh, It Comes at Night, you know, a lot of the movies that A24 is releasing right now, Hereditary, uh, Get Out, uh, has has a lot of like social commentary power in it. I think that what that is, and and Victor, you alluded to this earlier when you were talking about this kind of horror renaissance is going on, is that horror does tend to have a a spike during times of uh, political and economic uh, anger or depression. Uh, And I think that what's happening is people are very frustrated with the world right now, uh, and justly so. And so the horror movies are not only reflecting the social commentary that we want to see, but they're also reflecting this heightened anxiety that is going on in society because I think, I think we're all anxious. I think we're all scared in different ways and uh, Wes Craven used to say that you don't actually go to see horror movies to be afraid. You go to them for release and I think right now all these movies are driven by anxiety because there's such anxiety in the world that people want to go and kind of put that into what they're seeing and like let it go for two hours because they, it can manifest in a witch or like you know Catherine Keener drinking tea or whatever like mm-hmm. the villain is. Uh, and, and there's just like a momentary catharsis to it. And I think that the reason these ones are working right now is the world is kind of thoughtless and there's a lot of cruelty and a lot of uh, abhorrent behavior, but like, you've got these movies where, you know, there is kind of that, that thoughtfulness to Suspiria. There is the social commentary of get out. There is the, uh, the kind of de- deconstruction of the family and hereditary that people can go and like they're feeling that and they don't know how to, to um, vocalize it, but we can vocalize it through otherness and through monsters. And uh, that, that I think is probably why we're seeing those right now. Uh, I maybe could be also full shit. Like maybe I'm like totally like off the beaten path, but like, that's just the movies that in horror right now are not necessarily just like the stock and slash kind of movies. There's usually a lot, more substance to what what uh, even the idea of halloween which is a slasher movie is all about generational trauma you know like in a post me too era that's that's a very fascinating narrative to have from a feminist standpoint so there it's there it's there and i think it's probably just an ongoing discussion to be had so anyway it was a very long answer uh thank you (laughs) 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 yeah it's you know
0: it's no, that's a good answer. I think that's a good way to put it, just because um, horror is—it needs to change. Um, it needs to always be something better and different uh, in so many different ways. So I'm happy to see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm always, I'm always very happy to see horror change and horror develop. So hopefully we'll get more, um, just something more and, and more exciting. I don't want to see additional Halloweens or any more Hellfest, but I do want to see, and I don't want to see more remakes. I do want to see something new. And I think this is where we are getting new stuff on television. So yes. y'all are now seeing... Um, we are seeing you know, a lot of that grow in a lot of these anthologies and what have you. And I just watched the original Creep Show the other night because I'm obsessed with Father's Day. Um, oh, it's so good. The music, I even have the song, Don't Let Go. Like, I, even have, I have it on my iTunes. Like it's, I, it's everything about that particular thing is really neat. But we're seeing a lot of TV t- turning into horror now. Um, I will ask y'all, what is y'all favorite horror series? And do we see more of this coming? Up? And Michael, I think you've been working on some stuff, so you can talk about that too. While you're in this.
2: Uh, sure. Um, do you want me to go first, or whoever whoever can? Yeah. Uh, well, as far as for favorite horror series, I, I guess that if if you're looking just like over time, I definitely was an X Files kid, and when, when I was growing up. Uh, that was, like, the place to be Sunday nights. Like, for the first, like, at least five years of that show, they did stuff that scared the hell out of me all the time. I wasn't even necessarily there for, like, the, like, alien mythology that was going on. It was more so those, like, one-off episodes where Mulder and Scully would go and investigate, and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, they're, like, hillbilly cannibals. Or, you know, it's, uh, the PTA is actually Satanists. And you're like, what? That could happen in my town. Like, you know, it scared the hell out of me as a kid. Uh, so that always is one of the first things I think of. I love the original Twilight Zone. Uh, again, very social commentary. Uh, but I think more modern, like if you haven't watched The Haunting of Hill House yet, it's one of the best 10 episodes of television. It's just like positively horrifying in the best way. And I'll, You know, I'm going to say it. I'm really, really into uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina right now as well. Like I think it's fun. I like The Witches. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of good horror content on TV that I'm really into. So... Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm <laughs> into. Yeah,
0: I, you know, I, I'm into American Horror Story to some degree. I think this season is probably the best season they've had, um, so far. Um, I love witches, anything with witches, I love because I used to practice witchcraft as one of those confused teenagers. <laughs> back in the 80s, um, and watching some great movies about witchcraft. One of my favorite witch movies will always be Midnight Offerings, Um, just because it was just done by the two goody-goodies from the two goody-goody type of shows. Um, One of the actresses was from um, the Waltons, the other one, Melissa Melissa Sue Anderson, was from Little House on the Prairie, and Melissa Sue Anderson was the evil witch. (laughs) Um, And then the, the girl from the Waltons was the good girl. Um, but they were seven daughters of a seventh daughter and they had powers but i i loved i love witch stuff and i and sabrina was was cute um i i, I kind of wish witchcraft would leave the whole satan stuff behind like i i think like you can you can really elevate witchcraft these days mm-hmm. um, but I, I i did like that i do like um channel zero um dream board i'm watching that right now which is very interesting it's from a People of color perspective, the lead characters are black, so I really like that. Um, and I, you know, I'm looking forward to what this creep show series is gonna be, um, because I love the original creep show. There's been three creep shows. Um, the third one we don't talk about, because that was hard. <laughs> like, um, Michael, maybe you've seen this, Nick, maybe you saw it. I remember seeing three and was like, who, what? project like what high school project is this um but i am curious to see what they're going to do and i'm also um you know hunting of hill house was 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 good it took a little bit for me to get into um but it was good for what it was it was a nice slow horror not hammer horror ish but you know well some people said they can see that, but I, you know, I really enjoy that. But I I really hope we get a little bit more horror, but not to a point where it is drawn out. Like for example, the Scream series, I did not care for at all. I did not. Um, But I am looking forward to see what they can do. Personally, I thought Halloween could have been a, uh, a six mini episode type of thing. If they, my vision was they actually brought in the entire family to deal with what Michael is but that would never happen. <laughs> well, you never know. But I I could see Halloween, or even Nightmare on M Street done in a episodic way, where it's like one season, six episodes, dealing with the mythos of those particular characters.
2: I'm... Um- Surprised no one's quite got there yet. I think in the era of Netflix and Hulu and Shutter and all of these places, I I think that, you know, there's still that old studio mentality that we have to go for the big budget motion picture. But can you imagine, like... Even, even off the heels of this new Halloween, since they're like all about just making up their own timelines with every new project, you could do an eight-episode series of Halloween on Netflix and bring back Danielle Harris as Jamie, as an adult, and like what's her life been like, you know? Yeah. That would be interesting, uh, and you could really stretch that out into a story that's both scary and personal. I don't know. I like that. I like that idea. I think that yeah, you need to kick open some doors, Victor, in Hollywood, and, and tell well, him I mean, him got- <laughs> Uh
0: Nick, have you been watching any of the horror stuff? Or,
1: um, well, you know, I, we started. I started a uh, Sabrina, mm-hmm. and I like how it's going. It reminds me. It has a whimsical feel, like uh, a la Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm liking what I see. Uh, Prudence is my girl, and Ambrose can get any, he can get it any time of the day. Um, I haven't been keeping up as far as, like, the new series. Uh, Granted, I'm still uh, behind on American Horror Story, so I haven't even started the new series. Um, I think my favorite horror, and I'm using quotation marks for that, uh, series is The Twilight Zone. Um, I think back to the old um, episodes like, for example, A Monster's Do on uh, Maple Street. That is my kind of horror because, you know, what happens when you pit people against each other that were, at one time, neighbors or friends? Or the episode where these guys thought they was going to space and they thought they were in space and they killed each other, only to turn out that they're like, they're aircraft dropped like maybe 50 miles from where it originally was you know things like that or things like um the episode uh beauty is in the eye of the beholder where pretty was ugly and ugly was pretty yeah that was oh my god that episode was so good and i know jordan peele is supposed to do the series over and i was i'm very hesitant because that to me is such a a necessary look at people and culture and society and how we treat each other and those idiosyncrasies that we have. Maybe I I think he would do good, especially since he, we have get out from him. It's just, I guess the, the person who loves their old, their oldies so much. I don't want to see them tarnished but I would I kind of would like to see his interpretation of some of those beloved stories.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's it. I I grew up with Tales from the Dark Side and um, both Tales of the Crypt. So I, I feel like I think it would be nice to see some new stuff come out, but I would like it to come from different writers. Cause I I do feel like and Michael, you can chime in on this, I do feel like right now HAR is somewhat controlled by the same people. And I'm I, I kinda want to see other people, you know, to really and in no shade to them they're doing it successfully, but at the same time like I'm seeing the same people involved. I almost want to see what other people are doing with it, what other people can really give us when it comes to um, especially more people of color at the hill. So I like Jordan Pills opening that door, but at the same time I also feel like yeah. we're still seeing some of the same people, you know, making and making and doing it.
2: Well, it's interesting, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you in the respect that at the end of the day, horror, although the subversive genre, still is beholden to show business, and show, show business is definitely run by studio heads and network heads who tend to act as gatekeepers, which tend to uh, very incrementally and slowly seem to wrap their minds around the fact that there's more than one kind of story that can be told. Like you know, the idea that, you know, they still have to be convinced that um, men or people of color or queer people can tell stories is stupid, like, you know, obviously, because we know that there are so many, not the space we made available to, to have that be done. Um, but it is—I—I I, I totally know what you're saying. It's like there—there there are some really amazing artists out there who are, you know, keeping horror afloat, and there just needs to be more people in to share different kind of perspectives and stories. One thing I will say about horror, as opposed to any other genre, though, is that this is the one space where if you decide to go out and make a film for no money, uh. You will find an audience for it. Horror has a long history of low budget, no budget, independent films that end up getting people sp- seen. You know, like a, a drama in our backyard with no money. We would it would never happen. Yeah. But if you were like, yeah, you know, we're free free this weekend, and let's make a zombie movie. We could probably not only make that zombie movie, we could find an audience who is into it. And then from that, you might be able to get money to make the next move, which like and a lot of the people who are now working in horror today started that way. And I think there's something powerful about the fan element of this this genre that allows people to go out if they have a story to tell it. We just now need to get the people who um, kind of sit in control of of the wider mainstream to realize that, you know, all, all of these stories are valid. Uh, and I don't know if that really speaks to the question you asked, but it's a frustration that I have all the time as well. Uh, and that's why I think it's important uh, to have discussions like these on shows like yours, mine, and like out in the world, because we were all hungry for that kind of content, and we are hungry for that kind of content. Like there are people who need more representation, and there are people who are waiting still to be represented, and everybody deserves to have their movie, everybody deserves to have their story told and we have to rattle those cages so it happens. So, that's, you know, it's just what I, I think.
1: <laughs> I mean, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow, I don't know, I, I feel like, well, there's so much to think about when it comes to horror because it's, it's a genre I think we, that we all love. I like to, I want to write it and be a part of it. Um, Michael, you're already doing stuff in it and everything else. Um, What do you hope to see? What do y'all hope to see in the future of horror? Where do you think we should be going or where do we hope to go with that?
2: Oh gosh, (laughs) that's a big question. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think for me, the, the power of horror is always that if horror is done right, it can be used as a mechanism to say things that we maybe wouldn't normally get to say in these platforms. You can use that otherness or that outsider status uh, as symbolic of something. And I think that when horror is at its best, it challenges the system, it challenges the establishment, and it forces us to take a step back and think of ourselves. So I guess that I just want horror that keeps pushing the envelope because horror by its very definition is a genre of subversion. And if you're making a horror story that everybody's Cool with, then you kind of didn't do your job to make people like step out of their comfort zones and think about things and be scared by things and maybe it scares them into a new way of thinking. Like, like maybe that's not necessarily the best psychological way to go about it. But I I do think that you use the art as 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 a means to to make a statement. And I've seen time and again when horror does that. It's very powerful. Like, you know, we've talked about the Twilight Zone. You talk about the monsters do on Maple Street. It talks all about how human nature and how we treat each other. That's horror doing the absolute best. That's a horror story telling us we need to be better people. You know, looking at what Jordan Peele did with Get Out to like you talk socially about issues that are still very prevalent. That's horror at its best, and so that's what I want from the future of horror. I And that's not to say I still don't want popcorn movies where I can just go and sh- shove snacks in my face and laugh like you know when the popular girl falls down the stairs while someone's chasing her or whatever. That we like, we need those too. We need escapism, but the future of horror for me, I want it to. I want it to push buttons. I want it to challenge us. I want it to be scary and smart, uh, and I want it to make us better if it can. Hmm. Nick.
1: Um I think Michael said exactly what I was thinking too. Like with the with get out, I I want more social justice horror if that's a genre that we're making now. Um because I feel like racism is horror to whoever it is against. So that. That kind of film appeals to me the most. Um, I can do without the the slasher, personally. For me, I mean, there is a place for, you know, the gore type movies like a Saw or like um, some of the other ones. But those are the kind of movies that I want to see. The um, like the social justice horror movies.
0: Yeah, I, and. I agree with y'all. I just want to see horror go to a new era to where it's really playing more on the psyche than it is. I mean, I, I enjoyed the slasher. I enjoyed the, you know, the, the Night of the Demons type. I kind of miss those. Uh, that's something I I actually wrote something that's something, you know, because I was inspired by that, you know, just something where it's a little crazy fun out there, gives you a little bit of magic and mysticism, but at the same time, was something that was going to make me really think about Something when I'm asleep at night, or like you know, what's really going on? Who's standing outside? You know, who's this person standing outside? You know, and in, in my in my courtyard, like who is that? You know, like there's something where I'm always thinking that something weird is going to happen. I want something that's going to really trigger that for some strange reason. So I don't know. I, I really hope that horror really takes a new turn, and and those who are the who are the gatekeepers at this point really try to take it to another level. You know, leave the paranormal activities, leave the souls behind, take us to a new level. Even leave the conjuring of stuff behind. I think that we, we have enough of that world. It's time to do something totally different now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. So I guess that wraps up our Halloween episode for, the month of october michael thank you so much for joining us uh if you don't mind you can tell everybody where they can find you on the
2: interwebs great yeah thank you so much for having me i'm happy to have been part of your halloween uh you can follow me on twitter at michael Verati, that's uh, michael v is in victor a-r-r-a-t-i you can also follow my podcast uh dead for filth which is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond uh, we're on twitter at dead for filth as well as wherever podcasts are found uh, and also weekly, I host a show uh, on camera called History of Fright for Skybound, the company that produces Walking Dead. And every week I give you a little bit of information all about horror history. So uh, keep your eyes on all of those. And just, uh, I'm all over the internet so you can find me.
1: <laughs> awesome. And you can find us on Twitter. We are at MegastreamPod. I am at Portable Zazz. is at Wonderman5 you can like, break, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, or on Facebook and Instagram at megachinepod and visit our website at also at megachinepod.com. And one more thing before we get out of here. Um, to our the listener letter that we received, um, I won't say your name on air, but thank you so much for telling us that this podcast helped you through some really dark times. Um, I, when I read this letter, I started getting teary eyed because I didn't think I could do that or help somebody get out of their darkness.
0: Yeah, no, it was amazing to read it. Um, And it, it really helps to know that we are helping in some form or fashion we're helping. And that's why we do this. We don't do this for the fame or the fortune or the glimmer, glitter or the whatever. The glitter or
1: the gold. <laughs>
0: yeah. We do it because we have fun doing it. We like talking to people. We like talking about these issues. And if it's helping you get through your day, then that's, that's great.
1: Yes. And whatever you're going through, you got this girl. Yes. And so for next time, we will see y'all later.
0: All right.